0: Welcome to the EAU podcast. In this edition, we have Professor Dr. Richard Gathomas, an oncologist panel member on the EAU guidelines panel for muscle invasive bladder cancer, discussing immunotherapy in bladder cancer. What is the mechanism of action of immunotherapy and why could it work well in bladder cancer?
1: When discussing immunotherapy, it is important to clarify first what is meant by the term Immunotherapy. Generally speaking, all treatments involving the body's own immune system are some sort of immunotherapy. For example, this also includes intravesical treatment with BCG as applied in non-muscle invasive bladder cancer and hence we can say that bladder cancer was the first malignant disease where immunotherapy has been used and actually with great success over a long period of time. Today, the term immunotherapy refers primarily to treatments with so-called immune checkpoint inhibitors. They achieve an activation of the immune system by blocking inhibitory mechanisms. This can be compared to taking the foot off the brake. There are, however, many other forms of immunotherapy that I will not touch in this podcast. The checkpoint inhibitors that have been tested in bladder cancer include the CTLA-4 inhibitors ipilimumab and tremelimumab the PD-1 inhibitors, pembrolizumab and nivolumab, as well as the pdl one inhibitors, atezolizumab, avelumab and durvalumab. Checkpoint inhibitors were successfully applied first in melanoma, a disease known to be highly immunogenic due to a high degree of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes and a high level of neoantigen formation. Bladder cancer has also been found to have very high levels of neoantigen formation, similar to lung cancer, And for this reason, immunotherapy was tested in bladder cancer early on.
0: Can you briefly explain the history of immunotherapy in bladder cancer?
1: The checkpoint inhibitor story in bladder cancer starts in 2014 with the exciting Nature publication of the Phase 1 results of atezolizumab in chemo-pretreated metastatic bladder cancer. Several similar trials in the same patient population followed Leading to the FDA approval of five different PD1 or PDL1 checkpoint inhibitors for metastatic disease in the late-line setting in 2016 and 17. In the following years, immunotherapy has been tested in many different settings and combinations, including non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, neoadjuvant and adjuvant treatment of localized muscle invasive bladder cancer, as well as first-line and maintenance treatment of metastatic disease.
0: Let's start with localised muscle invasive disease. Where do we currently stand with the use of immunotherapy in the neoadjuvant setting of muscle invasive bladder cancer?
1: So far, only results from small single arm trials using neoadjuvant immunotherapy either alone or in combination with chemotherapy have been reported. The first results in 2018, using the PD-1 inhibitor pembrolizumab, were very encouraging. This so-called pure O1 study found a pathological complete remission rate of 37%. In the Abacus trial, the PD-L1 inhibitor atezolizumab was used and achieved a PCR rate of 31%. No phase three trial results have followed up these early observations. The enthusiasm was also somewhat dampened when the combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy did not exceed these remission rates. In fact, the use of the polychemotherapy dose-dense MVEC regime without immunotherapy in the Phase three Vesper trial achieved even higher PCR rates. Therefore, the use of immunotherapy in the neoadjuvant setting outside of clinical trials is currently not appropriate and not recommended. This platin-based neoadjuvant chemotherapy remains the standard of care that should be applied more commonly given its proven overall survival benefit.
0: Immunotherapy has also been investigated in the adjuvant setting. Two phase three trials have been reported, demonstrating discordant outcomes. Can you explain the results of these trials in more detail and explain what this means for our patients?
1: Sure, the two trials in question are CheckMate 274 using the PD-1 inhibitor nivolumab and Invigor 010 using the PDL-1 inhibitor atezolizumab. Inclusion criteria were very similar in both trials. All patients had undergone radical resection. Patients pretreated with neoadjuvant chemo had to have at least pT2 residual disease. Untreated patients had to have at least PT3 or lymph node positive disease. Immunotherapy was given for one year. The nivolumab study compared against placebo, while the atezolizumab study was open label and not placebo controlled. The primary endpoint of disease-free survival, DFS, was reached with nivolumab, but not with atezolizumab. Interestingly, the immunotherapy arms performed very similar in both trials with a DFS of 21 months for nivolumab and 19.4 months for atezolizumab. However, the control arm did much worse in the nivolumab trial with only 10.9 months DFS compared to 16.6 months for the control arm in the atezolizumab study. The patients to benefit most from adjuvant nivolumab had received prior cisplatin-based neoadjuvant chemo, were found to have lymph node-positive disease, or had PD-L1 overexpression. Nivolumab has been approved by FDA for adjuvant treatment, but so far, no approval has been granted in Europe. In my opinion, adjuvant nivolumab can be discussed with patients in the case of residual PT2 or higher disease after neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemo, as well as in patients with lymph node positive disease. However, reimbursement issues have to be considered.
0: Let's switch to metastatic bladder cancer. What is currently the best place to integrate immunotherapy?
1: Immunotherapy. Clearly, the use of maintenance immunotherapy with the pd one inhibitor Avelumab after achieving a disease stabilization on platinum-based chemotherapy appears currently to be the optimal use. Let me explain. For several years, immunotherapy has been used as second-line treatment in a metastatic setting. Pembrolizumab demonstrated a three-month overall survival benefit compared to single-agent chemotherapy. Subsequently, several large phase three trials investigated the use of immunotherapy in the first-line setting, either in combination with chemotherapy or as monotherapy. Unfortunately, the three trials that have been reported so far did not achieve their goal of improving overall survival. In contrast, the use of Avelumab as switch maintenance in patients that had at least stable disease after four to six cycles of platinum-based chemotherapy could prolong overall survival by more than seven months, which was both statistically and clinically significant. Let me also briefly discuss the situation of the so-called cisplatin-ineligible patients. For a while, immunotherapy with pembrolizumab or atezolizumab was increasingly used for cisplatin-ineligible patients based on two single-arm phase 2 trials, The aforementioned randomized phase three trials, however, demonstrated no benefit of using single agent immunotherapy compared to carboplatin gemcitabine chemotherapy. Therefore, the sequence of carboplatin gemcitabine followed by maintenance immunotherapy is currently favored for cisplatin ineligible patients who are carboplatin fit. In patients unfit for both cisplatin and carboplatin, the use of a tesalizumab or pembrolizumab is an option if the patient is not a candidate for best supportive care only. In Europe, this indication is, however, only EMA approved for patients with PDL1 overexpression.
0: Obviously, some patients benefit much more than others from immunotherapy. Are there reliable biomarkers to predict response to immunotherapy and to adequately select patients?
1: Unfortunately, no reliable predictive biomarkers for immunotherapy have been established in muscle-invasive bladder cancer. The overexpression of the PD-L1 ligand was long favored to be a predictive marker based on first results. PD-L1 has, however, several major drawbacks and limitations. Many different platforms are used to quantify PD-L1 overexpression, and they are not comparable with each other. Moreover. PDL1 overexpression changes over time and from one disease localization to another, rendering results difficult to interpret. In line with these limitations, more recent studies have yielded very discordant results for PDL1 as a biomarker in bladder cancer, even when using the same platform in the same disease setting. The only use of PDL1 these days is for regulatory reasons, since in the metastatic setting, pembrolizumab and the tazolizumab are only approved for first-line treatment of non-platinum eligible patients in case of PL1 positivity. In the adjuvant setting, the measurement of circulating tumor DNA, so-called ctDNA, might represent a good biomarker in the future. First results from the Invigoro 10 study showed that patients with persistent ctDNA positivity after radical cystectomy did derive benefit from adjuvant immunotherapy, whereas ctDNA-negative patients did not. Routine measurement of ctDNA is, however, currently not widely available.
0: To conclude, what are your take-home messages for the optimal use of immunotherapy in muscle-invasive bladder cancer?
1: Certainly, immunotherapy with checkpoint inhibitors is here to stay in muscle-invasive bladder cancer. While we are still struggling to find the appropriate place in the perioperative setting, it is clear that patients benefit from the use of maintenance immunotherapy or second-line therapy after first-line chemo in the metastatic setting. I encourage everyone to continue to include their patients into clinical trials that are now more abundant and more promising than ever in bladder cancer.
0: Thank you for joining Professor Dr. Kathomas for this episode of EAU Podcasts on immunotherapy in muscle invasive bladder cancer. For further information on the EAU guidelines on muscle invasive bladder cancer, please visit our website www.euroweb.org/guidelines. Further podcasts will be posted regularly on EAU guidelines topics. For more EAU podcasts, please go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our EU podcast channel for regular updates.